I love stories where the entrepreneur's venture came about by scratching their own itch. Today's guest, Chris Kerner, wanted to get into Bitcoin mining. Well, turns out that's hard if you're just a hobbyist Bitcoin miner. You don't just plug a mining computer into your home electrical outlet. You need a data center, and one specifically built for mining. But getting access to one of those can be difficult. Well, Chris finally did get access to one by buying it outright and finding it on BizBuySell, no less. Today, that hosting facility employs 11 people. This is a fun, scrappy venture, the best kind. Now, we recorded this interview before the FTX scandal erupted. So the crypto winter we referred to in the episode has only become colder and darker in the intervening weeks. But I checked in with Chris, and he says his hosting business, Mining Syndicate, is getting by. Sales have dropped about 20%, but they're benefiting from new business as competitors close their doors. Never boring in the world of crypto. Also, the last 20 minutes of this episode are devoted to a mostly unrelated but fascinating story. It's about Chris's business partnership with John McAfee. John McAfee made his millions as the founder of the eponymous antivirus software company, but later became known as something of a renegade. Guns, booze, crypto, tax evasion, living in Belize, and ultimately dying by alleged suicide in a Spanish prison. Anyway, Google him if you don't know, or check the show notes. There's plenty there. Well, today's story by Chris about his own dealings with McAfee proved that those headlines don't exaggerate. The guy was a wild man. Enjoy that. In the main event, Chris's path from Bitcoin curious to owner-operator of a Bitcoin mining business. Welcome to Acquiring Minds, a podcast about buying businesses. My name is Will Smith. Acquiring an existing business is an awesome opportunity for many entrepreneurs. And on this podcast, I talk to the people who do it. Wouldn't it be great to have experts at your back when buying a business? People to help you polish up your pitch and processes as you go to market as a searcher, then help you evaluate opportunities once you get some deal flow. Such experts exist, buy-side advisors, but they'll cost you to the tune of tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of dollars. But another option exists, the Acquisition Lab. The Lab is a do-it-with-you buy-side advisory service, not do-it-for-you. Founded by Walker Dibel, author of Buy Then Build, the Lab represents Walker's vision for what is most needed to make a searcher successful and available at an accessible price. It's cohort-based, and you will come out the other side of your cohort prepared to go to market as a savvy searcher with a tight message and process so brokers take you seriously, pre-approved for a loan, and with an entire community at your disposal to help you along the journey to buying a business. To learn more, check out acquisitionlab.com. Link in the show notes. Chris Kerner, thank you for joining me today on Acquiring Minds. Thanks for having me. Chris, you acquired and now operate as a business, a Bitcoin mining facility. So we are going to hear a very interesting story. We're going to learn something about Bitcoin mining and how all that works. You've, you've grown this facility uh, into a business that is 10 or 12 people. So this is even in the, this crypto, crypto winter that we now find ourselves in, this is, this is very much an, an ongoing concern and one you've grown from um, a lot smaller than it was. I guess it was just the facility mm -hmm. uh, into to a, to a 12, 10, 12 person business. So a super fun story. Let's get into it. Chris, start us off, as always, with your background. 
Sure. So uh, my name is Chris Kerner. I live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, uh, just north of Dallas in the suburbs. I live on a couple acres with a wife and four kids, um, ages 6 through 12. And I got my undergrad at the University of Alabama um, and my MBA from TCU. I have been uh, addicted to starting businesses my whole life since I was a kid. Um, I don't shy away from that. I, I do have a couple college degrees, but I've never used them. Um, I just love the starting and the growing phase of, of a business. And then once it kind of plateaus, I get a little bored and I start looking around for the next thing. And so that's me. Well, actually, Chris, on, on that point, um, the, the obvious question is, why are you interested in business acquisition, small business acquisition, when you're so addicted to the, I mean, you, you, let me put it another way. A lot of people uh, on Acquiring Minds say, you know, I see myself more as a one to 10 person rather than a zero to one. But what I just heard you say is that you actually do see yourself as a zero to one person. So why the interest in small business acquisition? Well, because I also love the idea of growing things, right? Especially a small business that is underutilized or underperforming. Um, and you'll learn later on in this story that the small business that I bought, it, it was more of a zero to one uh, story than a one to 10. Um, yeah. But I, I love fixing and growing and turning things around and yeah, seeing results. Okay. Okay. Well, I know from our pre-call uh, that you have had a lot of really interesting entrepreneurial ventures. Uh, we might uh, get to them at uh, one, two, one or two of them at the end, but let's... Um, Focus on the Bitcoin mining facility. Tell us, uh, you know, how, where where does that story begin? Sure. So I I've been in crypto for six years now. I first bought Bitcoin in 2016 uh, speculatively. Um, I sold it when it doubled. I felt like a genius. Felt like Warren Buffett. I, you know, <laughs> bought at 600, sold at 1200, and obviously that was a bad decision. Um, <laughs> luckily for me, I quickly learned how bad of a decision that was. I bought back in and I vowed to never ever sell my Bitcoin again. And so I, I started learning about Bitcoin after that point and learning the fundamentals of it and why I felt it would be the future. And so then in, in 2018, I, I started working in crypto a little bit. I had a token. We talked about that a little bit in our pre-call. Um, so I've always kind of been dabbling in crypto, wanting to work in crypto but definitely a believer in at least owning Bitcoin, Ethereum, and a few other altcoins. Anyway, uh -huh. 2018, I wanted to get into mining. Uh, it was very profitable. The market had already started crashing, but no one really knew it at the time. Um, right before I started getting involved, it was just not profitable anymore. And so I backed out. Flash, uh, flash forward a couple years, summer of 2021, China banned mining. And China was, they had you know, a, a large percentage of the world's uh, mining uh, hash rate. And so literally overnight, the profitability of mining jumped about 50%. Uh, they were forced by the government to unplug. And the way mining works is the more miners there are, the more hard it is for everyone, the more you have to share the Bitcoin reward with. And um, conversely, um, the less miners there are, the fewer there are, the more pr profitable mining is. Um, the other variable, of course, being the price of Bitcoin. And so 2021 was this perfect storm where Bitcoin was going crazy, China unplugged. And so mining was very, very profitable. Uh, to put it in perspective, you could mine, uh, Bitcoin is trading, like, let's say $40,000. You could mine one for about $4,000. And so wow. 
Yeah, super attractive. And so 2021, I I had an e-commerce business with extra warehouse space and some extra power. And uh, having a history of ordering electronics from China, I ordered a couple miners for myself just to learn and to test and to mine. So I plugged them in and I learned. Were you going to say something? Yeah, I was going to say, Chris, uh, what is a miner? People assume, assume no Bitcoin knowledge of the audience. Okay. Perfect. And me. <laughs> Great question. Uh, a miner is a really expensive computer that is guessing numbers all day, every day um, in a process called proof of work. So here's an analogy for you. So let's say you go into a casino and you're the only one there. And they say, anyone that rolls uh, snake eyes wins a $1,000 pot. And so on your third roll, you get it, you win $1,000. Well, then your friend walks in and the casino says, all right, now anyone who rolls snake eyes wins $1,000, but you have to share it with him. And so you both start rolling the die and you, you know, one of you lands on it twice as fast. And so you save that much time, but you have to share the reward. So then a thousand people walk in, right? And you're rolling it very, very quickly. And so that's kind of how Bitcoin works. And it, on the surface, it might seem silly. Like these computers, you know, it's, it's kind of a common misconception to say that miners are solving complex math equations. They're not. They're guessing numbers very, very quickly. Uh, very, very quickly. Uh, and yeah. every 10 minutes, a block is discovered. Um, that's how it's designed. That's how the founder of Bitcoin, Satoshi Nakamoto, designed it. And in a, a, a block is discovered, meaning the snake eyes are rolled. What, this number, it, some mining device in the giant network that is the Bitcoin network lands upon the next, the next whatever. The next number. Blo block reward is what it's called. A block okay. having at this point 6.5 Bitcoins, right? Okay. And so every day, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of Bitcoins are mined, right? And Earlier this year, it was a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin were mined because the price of Bitcoin was higher. And so yeah. how that works is um, when China unplugged, now it, that same reward is being split with half as many people. So everyone makes yeah. twice as much. But it's brilliantly designed because as the price of Bitcoin inevitably drops, um, only the most profitable miners stay plugged in. And so those miners paying a higher power cost, they're spending... $23,000 to mine a $20,000 Bitcoin. And so they say, this is, this is foolish. And they unplug, and therefore it gets a little easier for everyone else. It's always self-balancing, which yeah, is the, yeah. br the brilliance of, of proof of work. It reminds me of Uber's algorithm, which is like when there's a surge in demand, the price goes up and that brings more drivers out. And then as more drivers come out, it pushes the price down. If the price goes down too much, then drivers drop back off because it's not worth their while to to pick up to pick up customers. Exactly, um, Chris. The but it, and and a miner. Uh, to be clear with people, like you know, you can be a Bitcoin miner, somebody who participates in mining, but you. A miner is also this device, this basically it's a custom, you know, CPU, a custom computer, basically a box, like a physical box that is custom designed to only do this computation that looks for whatever the next block. That's all it does. Yep. And one of these devices, you buy it from China and it costs, well, the cost fluctuates. We're going to get into that, but it costs anywhere from what? What did you tell me? Four to $15,000? Yep. So last year at the peak of the market, they were 15000 Today, they are closer to five. For the okay. same machine, okay, five to fifteen thousand dollars for this 
computer essentially. Mm-hmm. And um, and so the cost to mine, so if I'm looking at the price of Bitcoin and wondering if I should do mining, is my sunk cost into this machine and then my ongoing power cost. Exactly. And the ongoing power cost, you just kind of threw out a number, might be $20,000 a month. Well, right? it, it would be based on like a kilowatt hour. So most Americans pay 10 to 20 cents per kilowatt hour. Um, that is your sunk cost, which shakes out to be for a miner, call it $200 a month. Oh, $200 a month. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so, and one thing I didn't understand until our pre-call was that I always thought that like, you know, you know, thousands and thousands of miners around the world are all, you know, computing, looking for the next kind of to hit those snake eyes. And I, yeah, I, I always thought that whatever, whatever miner rolled snake eyes, if you will, got the Bitcoin, but you're, no, you're right. It, so, oh yeah. You're kind of, I thought right. it was distributed. I thought it was distributed proportionally. Across it is, the whole network. So miners are, most miners are in a shared pool where they share the reward, right? And so, for instance, most of our customers are on, it's called Brains Pool. And so 2.5% of the world's miners um, are on this one pool that most of my customers are on. And so a block is discovered every 10 minutes. And so um, every, you know, let's see, uh, tw- 25 40, sorry. Every 40 blocks on average, because uh, that would be 2.5%, um, yeah. a slush pool miner, as in one of my customers' miners or a miner on the other side of the world that's sharing the same resource pool, will find that block and it will be shared proportionally of those miners in the pool. Um, okay. And so there are some miners that are not on a pool and they're just gamblers and they don't share resources with anyone. And statistically speaking, it will take like a thousand years for them to find a block and they never will. But occasionally you see in the news that a single miner found a block and got 6.5 Bitcoins all to themselves. Um, Okay. Yeah. It it is shared distributed, uh, you know, proportionally, but within the mining pools. So it doesn't matter what miner finds it. Yeah. Okay, and that, but that's that's kind of a layer on top of Bitcoin. These pools that have evolved over time, but the 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 base layer Bitcoin algorithm, the way it works is it just rewards whoever mined the the block. Mm-hmm. It rewards one hundred percent of the reward to that miner to that one. Miner. These pools have developed over time. Okay. Yep. Okay. Okay. Uh, that that's great. So you um, you have this excess space, uh, some resources uh, for your for your other venture, your e-commerce venture, and you just to learn, you buy a couple miners and you plug them in. Is that mm-hmm. where we left off? Yep, exactly. Okay, so Take I pl- from there. plugged them in, and there's a lot to learn. I mean, there's a steep learning curve. I I was kind of ignorant to it. Um, you need to have a 220 volt outlet, kind of like your dryer, right? Yeah. First of all, yeah. second of all, the average miner consumes as much power as an entire house. Okay, so if you plug this in your house, your bill's going to double. Uh, it's like running the dryer 24-7, except all the heat from the dryer is going out into the house, like the door's open, and it's as loud as like a jet engine. It's like 80 decibels, right? And so it's Whoa. not. It's very loud, very hot, very windy, and it's like a powerful fan blowing all the time. Um, and so luckily I had a warehouse for this. I, I wasn't doing it at my house, but it's a lot to learn. I mean, you have to pay an electrician to come in. He has to put in a special outlet. Then you have to get a special plug. Then you have to have some programming knowledge. You have to hook it up to the pool. You have to hook it up to the firmware. You have to update the firmware. You have to plug an Ethernet cable in. So you can't just, there's no, there's no Wi-Fi. It has to be hardwired in. And so there's a lot yeah. to learn. 
that uh, I was learning. Okay. All right. But you do. You plug it in. It, you, did it you in. buy just the one miner or did you buy a couple? I bought two different models, um, two different brands, and just to kind of see how both of them worked. And I started mining. And I was mining, like literally printing digital money. And it was just the coolest thing in the world. Just, wow, okay. And it, like dollars per day, but very just interesting. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and so what were the economics? You, you had spent what on these miners and what were you generating? Yeah. At the time, um, the payback period on these miners were about 10 to 12 months. And so the, the problem with the payback period is it's never accurate because the difficulty rate, which is measured by how many miners you're competing with, is always changing, right? Anytime a miner plugs in or unplugs in the world, it gets a little harder, or a little easier. So yep. forecasting out 10 months is impossible. In addition, the price of Bitcoin, the other second variable is always changing. Yeah. And so what is cool is that 10 months could turn into uh, six months or it could turn into five years. And yeah. so it can go one way yeah. or the other. And so the economics at the time were about $23 a day, I believe, profit per miner. Um, so it was a matter of months, like six to 12 months, somewhere in there where I would get my money from the miner back. Um, and that's after taking out power costs. So $23 in profit and like $6 in power costs per day. Um, and then after it's paid off, it's just, it's pure profit for the life of the miner and a miner lasts about six years, give or take. Okay. Okay. Really so. interesting. Okay. Yeah. So you're 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 totally intrigued. You're kind of you're kind of hooked. You're you're falling further down the rabbit hole. You've got these two miners chugging away. And then what? So then I wanted to scale, right? Because anyone with a money printing machine who who wouldn't want to scale? August Felker is a two-time successful searcher. First with a traditional search fund. The second time around, he did a self-funded search. Today, August runs Oberly Risk Strategies, an insurance firm with a dedicated practice group for searchers and acquisition entrepreneurs like you. If you've got a business under LOI, Oberly will provide complimentary due diligence on that business's insurance and benefits program. A great no-risk way to get to know August and team. They love helping searchers. They've worked with hundreds. Oberly is a specialty insurance brokerage for searchers by a former searcher. Check out Oberly-Risk.com, O-B-E-R-L-E hyphen risk.com, link in the show notes. And so I started looking into that. And so I started by looking for uh, abandoned warehouses in DFW. Now, the problem with scaling miners is they take a ton of power, like a ton. If, if, if you go, uh, like, find it, your average industrial warehouse, it probably, like, 100,000 square foot warehouse, right? Huge, huge warehouse. It probably has enough power on site for like 10 miners, okay? And then 10 miners in 100,000 square feet, that's, that's nothing. That's silly, right? Right. right and right. so it's very expensive because you're going to have to get the power company to come out. You got to buy transformers. You got to, it's hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars to bring multiple megawatts to that building. And so you really need power more than you need space because in a, in a home garage, you could fit a hundred miners and you could even get the airflow to get the heat out of there, but you would need uh, half a megawatt worth of power, which is uh -huh. a lot. And so and what about the sound of 80 decibels times 40 miners or whatever? Yeah. And so you, you wouldn't want to do that. Like you just okay. wouldn't. Yeah. Um, There's sound 
as issues as well. Go ahead. Yeah, and so I, I was really just comparing the size of a of an average American garage. You wouldn't yeah. want to do that in a garage. You couldn't sleep. <laughs> and so yeah. I was running into all these roadblocks, and I was not the only one. Like, it, you didn't have to be a genius to want to get into mining when China unplugged. Everyone wanted to get into mining, right? Yeah. And so yeah. I'm. I, I'm calling the power company. I'm calling a power brokers. And they're all like, yeah, let me guess. You want to get into mining like you and your neighbor. You You're know? kidding. Yeah, <laughs> they were getting calls from everybody. And especially in Texas, like Texas is the breadbasket of mining because power is abundant and it's cheap. We have more power than yeah. we use and it's very cheap. And so yeah. everyone's coming here. And thankfully, I had just happened to live here. Um, and so I started looking at warehouses, you know, finding old manufacturing facilities because those typically have a lot more power and old paper mills. And, but the problem is, you know, you find this place that's 30 grand a month, the lease, and it's a hundred thousand square feet and you just don't need any of that, you know? And so, ah, and so it was really, really difficult to find a place. And so then you start looking into, um, taking a smaller, cheap place and then spending all the money to bring the power in. The problem with that is it's a six to 12 month process and a lot can happen in crypto in six to 12 months. Um, the price of miners. And Chris, the, yeah. the, this, po this point about China unplugging and so the difficulty rate going down uh, and that drawing, so that'll then draw in more to more miners doing the kind of always self-regulating supply demand sort of, sort of dynamic. Uh, like that window, so that window will immediately start closing. And as you said, like everybody's scrambling to like plug in a mining machine because they because China's unplugged and they recognize the opportunity. So how long are people expecting this advantage to last after China unplugs? Like maybe it just lasts a week or no, it's like, no, it's, it's going to last for like a number of months for that, for all of that kind of demand to be reabsorbed. Great question. So no one knew, right? Everyone knew that it was going to go back up, right? Everyone knew that, that slowly over time, the difficulty rate goes back up. Now, the difficulty rate only adjusts every two weeks. Um, and so you can predict, like there's software out there that can see, all right, right now it's looking like the difficulty rate will be 3% harder in two weeks. And then the next day, 4%. And the next day, 2% because it's seeing who's unplugging and plugging in, right? So you can reasonably forecast that only two weeks out. But what no one knew was, you know, there was a chip shortage. And so people couldn't get their hands on miners. People couldn't get their hands on transformers due to COVID. People couldn't get their hands on power due to COVID. Like it was this really weird time of supply chain shortages and COVID and China and chip shortages. No one knew how long we'd be making hay and no one knew what the price of Bitcoin would be doing, right? Because it's right. half, half right. of it is dependent on Bitcoin. Like if, if the difficulty rate keeps going up, but Bitcoin keeps going up proportionally, it stays just as profitable, Yeah. right? Yeah. And so that was the big question. Yeah, yeah, sure. Makes sense. Okay, so none, none of the facilities are making sense. You, you consider like some smaller, older facility and, and, act, and retrofitting it or, or at least running the power out there. That doesn't seem like a good option. So then what? So as luck would have it, so I'm, I'm on Biz by Cell every Sunday. Right, it's my Sunday <laughs> hobby. And it's like it's my guilty pleasure. And I'm... A, I'm I'm like most everyone else, I'm a tire kicker and I'm just looking and, oh, only two times EBITDA, oh, three times, oh, this was near my house. Like, we all yep. do it, we all do it. And so I just thought something came came onto my head and I thought, maybe there's a mining facility for sale. And so I did like a nationwide search and there were two. 
And one was out of state, way expensive. And one was in Texas. Now on biz by sale, you can set your privacy, you know, only show the city, only show the county, only show the state. And so it only showed the state. So I just saw Texas and it was affordable. It was 750 grand, um, which is like less than what I would pay to bring in transformers and pay the power company. Um, now the building was not owned, it was leased. Um, and, but the power was already there. It was three megawatts, which is enough for like 750 miners. So if you do the math at the time, every miner was making 25 bucks profit a day, multiply that by 750. That's a lot of money. Now, granted, you have to go buy millions of dollars worth of miners if you want to own them. Um, but it looked really good. And so 750 grand for this business. And it was listed by, uh, by the owner, not with a broker. And it was not a business. It was, I was buying a lease with mining infrastructure there and with 300 late model miners already mining. Um, they were making like, I want to say like $8 a day. They were like three years old. It's called the S the S nine. And so it was cash flowing at the time, like 20 grand a month. Now everyone knew that was going to go down because the difficulty rate was only going to go up. And so I wasn't, I wasn't really looking at it from like an EBITDA perspective. I was looking at buying the infrastructure and then the miners that came with it and the Bitcoin that the miners were mining was just like a cherry on top. So, but, and, and the seller probably was, they probably did come up with that 750 number based on EBITDA. Cause that's basically exactly three times. Exactly. The, yeah. yeah. If it's doing two, 200 a month, 220 a month, that's 240 a year times three is about 750. Exactly. And there wasn't really a way to value a mining facility because there weren't really any on the market. And so I was on these obscure lists and looking at these obscure websites, learning that to buy a plug and play facility without miners, just power already on site, because that's really the value is power already there. You're saving a year and you're saving six to seven figures in cost, right? I was seeing that they were going for like 500 grand a megawatt. So, which would put this at like 1.5 million. Plus it had miners that were already mining. And like a lot of times the, the places that you buy, like they don't have racks, they don't have ethernet. Like you still got to do a lot of work to get a mining, but this yeah. was, li- this was not plug and play. It was like already plugged in and playing. Right. And so yeah. the price looked good. And so I started reaching out to the seller and he wasn't responding and he was getting hundreds of inquiries. Hundreds. I was going to say, like, you, you can't be the only person, Chris, who's right. who's scrambling to find, you know, to do. I mean, you're telling me that all these people are calling all over the place, seeing what they can do about power and especially in Texas. So, yeah. I mean, he's got the hottest list and going. Exactly. And um, but I just I just kept at it and I was texting him and and just everything. And I just annoyed him to death. And we finally got him on the call. And I learned that he bounced between uh, West Texas. He was like in oil and like. Uh, Massachusetts, kind of random. And he wasn't even on site. And then it was managed by like a consultant that lived nearby. And I learned that the facility was 30 minutes from my house in a city called Rockwall, which is like, you would never expect a mining facility in Rockwall. Like it's known for its school district, its family values. Like usually Uh, usually mining facilities are in, in the middle of West Texas or in some industrial park. And like, I'm like by the high school. It's Really yeah. random. And so yeah. <laughs> once I learned it was half an hour from me, I was like, this is either like biggest scam I've ever found or the biggest deal I've ever found. Um, and so I just 
I kept at it. And um, I, we started talking and you can't finance anything like this. Um, I didn't have 750 grand in the bank. Um, and so we worked out a seller financing deal. I, I paid him a big chunk down and he seller financed the rest over five years. And um, I worked the loan repayments. I tied them to the price of Bitcoin. Um, so as Bitcoin goes up, I pay him more. As Bitcoin drops, I pay him back less. Now, Chris, why is he selling now when he's, yeah. Great question. So he, he wanted to scale up mining in West Texas where power is even cheaper than in DFW. And he, he's in, he has like a lot of industrial companies. He has space, he has more power out there. So he was wanting to consolidate his mining efforts to where it could be more closely under his watch. Also, he thought, man, like it's kind of a headache that this is a five hour drive away. Um, China just got out, like this could be the peak of the market, right? Kind of hedging his bet. Like if this is not the peak, then I'm gonna take this money from selling it and do more mining closer to me. If it is the peak, then I can just cash out while the getting's good. Okay, okay, interesting. Yeah. And so your, it was your persistence that led you to, like, led him to talking to you. I mean, it, I mean, he did, I guess, why wasn't he responsive to you? If he had put the listing on biz by sell, he was looking to sell it. You were a viable buyer. Um, why do you think it took so, it was so hard to get his attention just because he was being inundated or what? Yeah. Well, first of all, it wasn't surprising to me because the response rate I get from sellers on biz by sell is like 30%, right? Like, it, I don't know what it is, but I don't get very many responses from biz by sell. Um, even when I'm very aggressive and saying like, hey, I can pay cash or I have financing lined up. Anyway, so there's that, just maybe the nature of biz by sell. Second, he was getting hundreds of inquiries and he had already hopped on a bunch of calls and it's like, okay, I'm gonna line up financing and just tire kickers. And so he's just, he's just kind of at this point where he's like, eh, like if they want it bad enough, they'll find me, right? Yeah. Also, he's very busy. He has like four different companies that he's running. And um, yeah. So cool. Really cool. Well, persistence pays. So you, you, you acquire it with this, this seller note tied to the price of Bitcoin. So you've mm -hmm. hedged. Uh, and he and can you tell us what you pay the upfront piece, the down payment piece? I, I paid 50 grand down and I talked him down to 700 grand. And so my note was 650. Um, uh -huh. We closed on October 1st, 2021. Um, so very cleanly, first day of the quarter. Um, and in September, I was already laying the groundwork for some customers because I the original model was, all right, let me back up. So yeah. when I was striving to scale up, the first and easiest thing I did was start reaching out to hosting facilities. So I didn't want to have my own. I just wanted to buy a bunch of miners and mine Bitcoin. And so dozens of hosting facilities overseas and they wouldn't respond to me or they were full or they were too expensive. I could not find a place for my miners. And the reason is very simple. It's because there's a lot of big money in mining. There's a lot of people that have hundreds or thousands of miners. And so these hosting facilities fill up like that with someone with a lot more money than I have, right? And so why are they gonna mess with a guy with 10 miners or even 50 miners when they're full uh, from, Having a so so a, a hosting facility to be clear is a place where somebody who just you know buys a miner or buys ten or buys a hundred miners plugs in the miner and all the things that you were looking for plugs in the miner and runs it and it's got all it's it's basically like a data center for miners specifically so this is an established. 
practice an established business within the Bitcoin ecosystem. Yeah, that's exactly what it, it's a data center for miners. Um, yeah. And a lot of times it's a win-win because they'll take their fee. At, well, the fee is really, they're just marking up their electricity. That's how hosting centers make money. Um, okay. And it's usually a win-win because even their marked up rate is usually cheaper than what you could get it for. So there's okay. very, there's there's not a lot of reasons to not use a hosting facility, but they were just, I was, I was a small fry to them. And so I, I couldn't use them. And so all of September, I'm laying the groundwork thinking, all right, in order to fill this entire hosting facility, I need millions of dollars worth of miners. Now that would be very profitable, but the upfront cost is insurmountable. Now there's a lot of people that raise money to buy miners, but I didn't want to go that route. And so I thought I'm going to buy as many miners as I can. Um, and then everything else, I'm going to be a hosting facility and my power costs are six cents and I'll charge 12, uh, which at the time was expensive. Um, my competitors were charging eight or nine, but there was so much demand and so little su supply. I thought, why not charge what I can charge, right? Um, and so anyway, I will, I'll pay my bills uh, as a hosting facility and then I'll mine Bitcoin with everything else. And the numbers looked really good. And then over time, I can add more power. I can add more transformers and megawatts and scale up as we go. Um, so I started doing that. I started doing a little marketing. I came up with the name Mining Syndicate. And I, <clears throat> this was before I'd even closed. So that way, when I closed, I could kind of hit the ground running. But what I soon learned was people not only needed a place to host their miners, they needed a place to buy them. Um, and so people kept asking, like, can, do you have miners for sale? And I'm like, well, you know, I spent seven years importing electronics from Shenzhen, China, which is, happens to be the minor capital of the world, too. So I was like, yeah, I, I could do that. So I reached out to my network over there and I started importing miners. And then I soon learned, wow, I'm not a hosting business. I'm a, I sell miners, right? That's a lot more profitable. And, but I also needed a place to host them um, because my customers needed both. So you are, the plan is to do your own mining, which was, of course, what drove your initial interest uh, in this facility. So you're going to buy a bunch of miners and do your own mining. And then you're going to become a hosting facility. Mm -hmm. And then you realize as you've started kind of marketing this service that people also need to buy the miners. And so you can also become a, a reseller of miners. Uh, and are you going to uh, basically put your name on a new, like a, a, your own private white labeled brand of miners and, and assemble all the components? Or are you are just going to be a distributor, like a, a U.S. distributor of, of miners that you source in, in China? Yeah. It's just and and why can't those folks just, you know, go, like I assume it's not that hard to buy a miner via like, you know, I can go to a website and buy a miner and have it shipped to the to the U.S. No. Why, why do they need to come to you? Why is it hard for them to get their hands on a miner? Sure. Well, for the same reason that I was able to sell so many iPhone parts that I imported from China, like what we're really selling is trust, right? The, uh, the insurmountability of ordering something from China, wiring thousands or tens of thousands of dollars to China is too much. And so I knew from my experience with LCD Cycle that we had to put trust at the forefront. And so from day one, we did the opposite of what our competitors did. We said, come visit us. Here's like, come take a tour, come shake our hand. Let's do a FaceTime call. Um, here's my background. And I was hopping on calls all day, every day. And once they overcome that trust barrier, barrier it it made perfect sense to order miners from okay. us. 
So. so there is no place, there's no, like, there aren't good e-commerce options to buy from a U.S. supplier miners. If I want to buy a miner, I'm wiring money to China. Um, yes, or you're buying from a reseller like me. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. And so all of this, as this plan is kind of coming together, this is still September? Like, you actually haven't acquired mm-hmm. the facility. You, this, this deal could still fall apart at any time. Yeah, I had actually sold my first batch of miners in September before we had closed. Um, just figuring, I'll put them in my warehouse, I'll figure out what to do with them. If, okay. Just in okay. case it doesn't close. But it looked like it was gonna close, and it did on yeah. time, actually, which never happens, but. Yeah, no kidding. And uh, how, you say you're marketing, you're starting to gin up business. How are you doing that? In, in the kind of Bitcoin circles in which you run, or are you running ads online, or what? Yeah, I'm doing some ads um, on Facebook, Facebook Marketplace. Um, and the ad was basically just like, I have a hosting facility uh, and I was just marketing primarily to DFW folks. So they didn't have to trust me as much. They could come meet me. They didn't have to blindly send me money. Um, and so honestly, it, it, I was just benefiting from immense tailwinds. Like it wasn't anything genius yeah. that it, there was just so much demand and that was not being met at the so, time. So there's enough demand to, to do Bitcoin mining that in one market, one geographic market, just DFW, you can find enough customers to basically get this facility business going. Yeah. At, like you're at, not talking to people all over the country. These are just local people. There's that much, there's that many people in DFW alone interested in mining. Initially it was DFW, but it, even as soon as October, we started getting orders from people out of state. Um, so I, I don't know if you could support it in DFW. I don't know that that's the case, but that got us going, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you do, you do acquire the facility. It does close in October on time, weirdly. Uh, and, and, and so, so this is now a year ago. So, so what happens in the first few months? How does it go? It was, it was the craziest months of my life, like by far. Um, on a personal note at, at the same time, my, so I have a 10 year old daughter. She has a lung disease, right? And so things were getting really bad in that same month of October. And so I was taking calls from the Texas Children's Medical Center in Houston, four hours away from me, um, at bedside, basically, because she, her lungs were getting worse. She ended up getting a transplant in February. She's good now. She's in school. Her life right. is normal. But right. I, I was also forced to move my whole family in December. And so in November, we were packing and making arrangements and renting out our house and renting a house down there because in order to get a double lung transplant, you have to be within an hour of the hospital doing it. And so the, the hospital said, she has to have a transplant, therefore you have to move to Houston. And so it was the worst timing ever, um, but it, we made it work. And so luckily I had like a, a network of people that have worked for me locally in the past for other companies and projects. And I just like assembled my dream team and we just got to work and it was insane. Um, it was insane. Well, you're now at about 12 employees. So tell us quickly about how you went from just you to this the first small handful of employees and how you really got the business off the ground. Yeah, so I started with customer support help um, and then I started with sales help, um, someone else to hop on sales calls and then I converted one of our customers to more customer support. Uh, he was looking for a job in mining and he was also a customer of ours. Um, and then 
I was building out the website and managing that myself. Um, and then I took one of my e-commerce employees um, and he did operations help. And then another e-commerce employee operations help because, I mean, we weren't like drop shipping. Like this was very hands-on. We're plugging in miners. They're 32 pounds each. They're heavy. It's hot. It's loud. It's, it's, it's dirty work, right? And so I, we had like a skeleton crew and we were just ordering miners every day from China and making it work. And so if we were to go into your facility now, what would we see? Just rows of loud, noisy, loud kind of um, heat generating boxes? Yeah. Rows and rows of them? Huge fans in the ceiling to, to get all the air out because it's um, you have to have constant airflow in and out. They yeah. get really hot. And so you have to keep a little bit of negative air pressure. And so we've spent a lot of money building out the facility. It was kind of underbuilt uh, because it had old model miners and the newer model miners that we've replaced them with are like twice as big and they consume twice as much power. And so we're not able to store as many miners as we originally thought, which has been a bummer. Um, but we, we use three different partner facilities across the U S for all of our overflow. Okay. Okay. So, and so are you full now? Then? <clears throat> yes, we're full. We've, we've been full since like December. Um, in Rockwall, where we are, right? But we do have capacity at our partner facilities. So, yeah. Today we use Rockwall. We call it like our, our test kitchen, our prep kitchen, so to speak. Um, we'll get miners from China. We'll unbox them, inspect them, plug them in, um, get them mining to the right pool, get them configured, put them back in a box, put them on a pallet, and then ship them off to our partner facilities. So when they get them, there's almost no work for them to do. They can literally just plug it into the wall, connect it to their network, and they're good to go. So Rockwall is no longer like a place where we keep miners long-term. We're just constantly cycling them in and out. Yeah, yeah. And so has the the sales or the, the reseller business become the primary business? Yes, definitely. And so we have to host miners because 70% of our customers need a place to put them. 30% host them at home or offsite. So if we didn't have a place to put them, if I never bought this facility, our sales would be 70% less if we only right, sold miners. Right. Yeah. Right. But your facility is full now. So you're not even, uh, you're not even offering availability to your new customers. You're having to go outside and no. with your partners. Yeah. So our facility in Rockwall is full, but as far as our customers are concerned, we're not full, right? Because I see they, yeah, they, we tell them Rockwall's full. It's tapped out. It's, it's a prep kitchen. Your miner will not be here. Um, we're going to, you're going to ship it to us. We're going to test it and then send it off to one of our partner facilities. I see. But the, the kind of what's fa for all intents and purposes, they're, ho they're hosting with you. Yes. Yeah. They say hosting with you. Okay. Yeah. Great. And, and so what, you know, a year later or more than a year later after China turned off, you know, here we are in the crypto winter. Bitcoin stuck around nineteen, twenty thousand. Uh, what what does the business of you know what what are all these dynamics do to the business? What yeah, tell us kind of like <laughs> how how that's going. Yeah, so lots of headwinds right now. Um, let me list them out for you. So first of all, first of all, top line revenue dropped significantly simply because the price of the products we're selling has dropped seventy percent. So we could sell just as many numbers of miners and our revenue is 60, 70% less, right? Wow. Because the price of our products are less. Furthermore, the price of Bitcoin is down. 
mining is not as profitable. Uh, what used to pay off in a year pays off in three to four, right? So now we're having to do a lot more education of saying like, hey, like, as long as you don't sell your Bitcoin, this is still a very profitable endeavor if you believe Bitcoin's here to stay, right? You can still just keep your Bitcoin, turn it around, and your payback period can still drop retroactively if you don't sell your Bitcoin. So what was like on easy mode in Q1, Q4 is like, we're having to really try, right? Which is good. Like it's, we've been building new systems and we built a, a whole suite of software and like we've been getting organized and um, we're still, we're still growing. We're still getting new customers, but it is, it's much, much harder today than it was. Um, but we know that it'll get a lot easier when it does turn around and we'll have better systems in place next time around. And, and, and your business is sustainable. Like if, if Bitcoin were to persist at 20,000 for, let's say another couple of years, you know, I guess crypto winters, the last one was from what, 2017 through 2021. So it was a three or four year winter. If this one lasted that long, but Bitcoin hung out at 19,000, is the business profitable? So it depends on how you look at a crypto winter or, or a bear market. Um, it was more like two years. If you look at it from like, are you comparing the peak to peak or bottom to peak, right? And so oh, we're, yeah. ex we're expecting, uh, so if you're comparing peak to bottom, you know, we don't know where the bottom is till it's well behind us, but we know that it peaked almost a year ago, November, 2021. And so yep. I expect this to last 12 to 18 more months. Um, but what was really smart of us um, looking back was we charged significantly more for hosting than our competitors did. Um, our competitors were basically breaking even on hosting and selling a miner at a good profit. And we kind of had the approach of like, let's, let's have our cake and eat it too, because there's so much demand. Like it's kind of foolish to, to break even on hosting when people will pay whatever they can to get their miner plugged in. Cause this was you, the thing where, where it was six cents and you were like, well, let's just charge nine cents because the demand 12. is there. Yeah. 12. 12. Okay. Yeah. Which was honestly unheard of like charging 12. Um, but we knew that our space was so constrained that we would still sell out at 12, right? Yeah. And so what that did was now that we're in a crypto winter, those, and we, you know, we're in contracts, we're in contracts with our partner facilities and our customers have contracts with us. And so now the hosting revenue has only gone up every single month because every month we've plugged in more and more miners, right? So our miner sales, that's what I'm referring to having dropped 70%, if nothing yeah. else, because the price of the miners have dropped but every single month our hosting sales are growing and it's also profitable. It's not just break even because of those contracts we signed. And so our payroll is getting covered by the hosting bills. And so basically every miner we sell is kind of like the gross profit is net profit because our overhead is being covered by the hosting. Sure, right. Sure. Now that will, that won't last forever because these are one year contracts. Um, and in January, February, they'll start expiring and we'll have to, come down on price, I'm sure, or ship their miner somewhere else. Um, so we'll burn that bridge when we get there. But for the time being, we've still been good and we're still sustainable without any outside funding. So Okay. Okay. Phenomenal, Chris. And um, what are, are you fully investing? Is this taking 100% of your time or are you working on other stuff at the moment? Yes. Yeah, so this is my main thing. I'm here now. I'm here every day. Um, but then I also have... Uh, a project called co-founders where I'm launching things with other people kind of on the side, but I'm not playing a main role in that anymore. So this can be my main, 
my main thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had referred um, earlier to a, a bunch of your interesting stories. So I, I think we will have time to have one or two of those. But even before we do that, um, you also have a little side hustle going with something called Busy, mm -hmm. right? So tell us about Busy. This will be really interesting to the Acquiring Minds audience. Yeah, so the, the domain is usebusy.com. And the impetus for this was, like I told you about BizBuySell, I'm always looking for businesses, even if I'm not always a serious buyer. And it's super time consuming, right? Like if you want to buy a mining facility, um, there's all kinds of different websites and they're all in different places and they use different brokers, different metrics available for all of them. And so I hired a developer to start aggregating any listing site I could find, like from like a, a random broker in Western North Carolina who, who doesn't use BizBuySell, he's only on his website, to BizBuySell, right? And everything in between. So. Busy is basically an aggregation of all of those in the same place to save searchers a few hours a week. And so it's still in beta. Um, it's going well. We don't charge for it. It's free. Um, it's a long-term play, um, but it's fun. It's a fun side project. And, and, and the, the actual, the output is a CSV file, right? So if I, like, tell me a little bit about the user experience. So we have a website built that's not launched yet where it'll all be done from the website, they can filter, they can sort, they can get email updates. Right now, it's a um, it's a Google Sheet that updates once a week. So we send out a weekly email, and they can go, they can export that as a CSV, or they can look at it within the Google Sheet. Um, and then we are going to be moving it to Airtable because it's a little more user friendly. So okay, okay, great. And something like this doesn't exist in the in the market because there are a couple of 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 kind of deal platforms that do claim to aggregate. Uh, from a bunch of the big sites, but you still thought that you perceived a gap in in the aggregator among the aggregator yeah. sites. Here's what I think the gap is. I think that they don't aggregate enough, right? That they're not aggregating from the really obscure ones, and a lot of times those obscure ones have the best deals, right? Like an, an HVAC business with 700k EBITDA, right? Also, I, we have on our list like 130 different sites to aggregate, and we've done about a quarter of those so far. And so I haven't seen anyone else doing that many. Furthermore, I want the ability to sort between like only show biz by sell or show no biz by sell or show all the for sale by owners. And so we're building a mechanism to filter out all the ones that are broker listed. Also, we're building a mechanism to, to find off-market listings and be like our own listing site, right? Where it's the, the buyer can work directly with the seller. In addition, it's not even listed on the market, right? Furthermore, we've got... We got all kinds of things on the pipeline, but I think there's a there's still a lot to be desired there. Yeah, in that market. And and you have found that there are uh, businesses listed for sale on like a broker's website that that broker has not put on biz buy sell. Yeah, yeah, because a lot of these old school brokers are like, I've built my email list over the last twenty years, and I send an email and I get it done, and I don't need to pay biz buy sell two hundred and fifty bucks for a listing. Well, it's like. It's kind of like good is the enemy of great. Like I'm sure they do sell businesses with their list alone. But the more eyeballs you have, the higher you can sell your the more you can sell sure. your business for, right? And, or the faster you could sell it. And that's a better experience for the seller. And so I think a lot of brokers are super old school, super complacent. And so yeah, I don't think everything's being captured. I know everything is not being captured on biz by sell. So okay. well that that's good to know. I mean, obviously, um, broker outreach and, and talking to brokers about deal flow and and maybe getting access to a deal that they haven't yet brought to market and put on biz by sell is a is a 
classic kind of searcher best practice. Yeah. But the, but this is different. This is talking. This is basically brokers who have publicly listed the business. They just haven't put it on biz by sell. It's just like on their website or out to their email list. And I didn't. It, it, so it's it's good to know that there are brokers out there who, who yeah, who have public. You know, it's out there for the world to see. They just haven't put it on put it on biz by. So yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, Chris, let's close out with uh, let's let's hear your John McAfee story. Um, John McAfee is uh, kind of an infamous character, founder of McAfee Software, antivi- famous antivirus software, uh, kind of a larger than life uh, character, and um, y- you partnered on a business with him. Uh, and and I want to tell the story, have you tell the story because it's interesting. But I also just want you to get credit, Chris, because you have you're just a really Dynamic entrepreneur, you've got a lot of really fun, interesting stories. I mean, you bought a you know a Bitcoin a Bitcoin mining facility for crying out loud, and, and here you are <laughs> a year later with ten employees. So that that alone kind of um, it, it kind of shows the type of entrepreneur you are. But there's a lot more where that came from. So tell us this this John McAfee story. Sure. So back in late 2017 uh, is really the kind of the peak of the last last uh, bull market in crypto. Um, yeah. Everything was going crazy, and I was looking at coinmarketcap.com, which is like the, you know the site for tracking all the prices. And I just kind of had a thesis that I developed, which was a, a crypto token that had a low market cap, but everyone was talking about it, was primed to go up in value over the foreseeable future. And conversely, a crypto token that was a top 100 or a top 10 token, it had a high market cap, but it, there wasn't much buzz about it, would go down. And so I thought, surely there's a way to measure those two things, right? The market cap's already done for you. Um, you can pull an API from CoinMarketCap. I just need to measure like a hype score. That's what I called it. So I partnered with a friend who's a lot better at Google Sheets than I am. And we made like a whole suite of Google, Google Sheets uh, that pulled those two variables. A hype score that we measured from Reddit, Twitter, Facebook, Google searches, mentions, and then the market cap, which we pulled from coin market cap, and we divided, uh-huh. and that gave us a number. And so we were able to take, like, say, the top 100 coins and sort them based on like most of least promising. So I did this for myself, and then I started investing in it. And so I would take like the 10 most promising and put an equal number of money in each of them, and then watch it over time. And it worked, and it it was amazing. And I thought, you know, this is this should be out there. Um, I wasn't on social media much. I didn't have much of a Twitter presence. Uh, I was more of a consumer than a creator on Twitter. And yep. so I, I thought, man, if I could just partner someone that could save me a, a year's worth of time. And so John McAfee at the time was like, he was the guy. He had 800,000 followers. He was pretty well respected in crypto. And uh, I started cold emailing him. Uh, I didn't know his email. He, you know, There's all kinds of tools to find email addresses. I could not find his. And so I started emailing like John at McAfee.com or JM or, you know, I tried all of the variations and I used a software that showed me if he were opening his emails or not. And frequently they would bounce back, bounce back, bounce back. And then one day showed he opened it and he opened it again. And my pitch was like, I developed this algorithm. I tested it. It works. I want to partner with you on it. I kept responding. I kept following up because he was opening but not responding. He finally responded. He said, Chris, even if God himself appeared to me and told me that this works, um, I would not believe you because you can't see the future. No one can see the future. And this would be more widely known if it worked. 
And so I said, John, let me get in front of you. Like, where do you live? I will fly there. I want to show you in person. I think you'll believe it. We went back and forth three or four times. And finally he said, meet me at my house in Lexington, Kentucky uh, at 1.23 p.m. on, I think it was February 28th, 2018. So I started building this in the fall when crypto was going. One, 1.23 p.m., not 1.24. 1.23, yep. One and is this just an indication of, of John McAfee's eccentricity or is he just being difficult or, or like why 1.23 p.m.? Um, yes, <laughs> all of the above. <laughs> it's, his eccentricity, I think, uh, is what it was. And so I responded okay. and said, what's your address? And he said, I'll tell you the day of. So I'm like, okay. So I flew to Huntsville, Alabama. I used to live there, stayed with a friend. Um, the morning of, I started, I checked my email, no email. Uh, I knew it was about a two hour drive. So I just started driving, so I wasn't late. And he still hadn't told me the address. And so I pull over, email him, hey John, I'm on the way, what's your address? He finally responded. Uh, he gave it to me. He lived in like a gated community. And I pulled in and his house was like, you could tell it was like the problem child house of the neighborhood. <laughs> they were all like Southern, like brick style homes. And then his was like a Spanish style. Like it just looked out of place. And like the driveway had like a yellow Hummer and like a 1998 beat up Nissan Altima and like a motorcycle. And like, it was just very eclectic. And so I, I pulled up at like 120, I waited for three minutes. I knocked on the door. Um, he opened the door. He had a gun on his hip. He had a bodyguard behind him with like an, like an AR 15. And then he had his wife, uh, Janice. And he looked at me like, he's just like, who are you? Like he had no idea who I was. You're like, John, I'm here for our 123. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I, I emailed you about that. And he was like, Oh, right. Uh, okay. Janice, uh, this is, what was your name? Chris. Chris thinks he can predict crypto. No one can predict crypto, but I told him I'd give him a shot. Um, Chris, uh, we're about to go to the liquor store. Uh, just come in here and sit down and I'll be back in a little bit. I was like, uh, hang oh. out with my, my buddy here with the AR-15. I'll right. be right back. <laughs> right. So I go in and it's just like, you know that scene of Home Alone when they're, they're all getting ready to go on their trip the night before and it's just people everywhere back yeah, and forth, chaos. kids yeah. and the pizza guy comes in. It was literally like that. And there was like a team of cleaners. And then there was a film crew. There were cameras. There was a boom mic. And the film crew had an Australian accent. And later I found out they were literally an Australian film crew that were there to film like the Australian 60 Minutes documentary just that day. So just coincidentally. Just on John McAfee? Yes. On, 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 on him. Yeah. And okay. so... I, it's this buzz of electricity and activity and I go in and then they leave and he sits me down at like the breakfast nook in the kitchen and I took a picture at the time and like you couldn't even use the countertops because there was so much liquor on them, right? Just liquor everywhere. <laughs> and uh, and I'm liquor like, and guns, perfect mix. Exactly. And here I am like, I'm Mormon, right? Like I've never tasted alcohol. Like I'm so out of place. I don't even cuss, right? So I'm like not in my element. It was just very strange. And so he sits me down at this table and I'm at this table with like three laptops and like four external hard drives, seemingly at the time by myself. And I'm like, here's this guy that has guns and bodyguards, cameras, and no one knows his email address. And he just sits this stranger at a table with hard drives, probably full of crypto, right? <laughs> like, what are you yeah. thinking? And so I'm like texting my wife. I'm like, here's my address. I'm safe. Like, 
I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> and so I'm just sitting there like a, like a good little boy. And then I and, hear and Chris, uh, Chris at the time, John McAfee. So I know him just because of McAfee software, but he, at this, at this moment in time is like a big crypto influencer. He's like the Michael Saylor of 2017, 18 sort of thing. Yes, exactly. Okay. Okay. Yep. 800,000 followers and all just about kind of crypto. I yep. Assume. He went okay. all in. Yeah. And okay. so I was just sitting there and I thought I was home alone. And then I hear like a cough around the corner and I go to the bathroom and it was like his main bodyguard. His name was Jimmy. And he had like a gun on his hip and a gun on the table and a MacBook. And he was just like typing away. He was like, Hey man, what's up? Like, who are you? Like, what are you doing? He's like, sit down. And he was, he was cool. And we just got to talking and he, he's like, give me your pitch. And so I gave it to him and I couldn't wrap his mind around it. And then he did. And he's like, Oh, this is Mr. McAfee's going to love this. Like this, this is brilliant. He's going to love this. I was like, okay, cool. Great. So we waited and then they all got back a bunch of liquor film crew followed him. And, um, he, he like forgot about me again. And then Jim was like, Hey, you gotta <laughs> listen to Chris. Like I was nothing. I was nothing to him. And I was an inconvenience. And so we sat down at this long table and he's like, all right, you have my full attention. And so I opened the MacBook and I start going into it. And then the, the film crew was just like, they were just nearby. And then they kind of listened in. They're like, Hey, do you mind if we film this? Can we get, and John's like, Chris, do you care? I'm like, uh, I don't care, I guess, you know. I didn't want to say no, but I wanted to say no. Uh, <laughs> sure. And so they start filming it, and I give them my pitch, and I show them the Google Sheets and, like, how it works. And, it, like, a minute into it, he's like, Chris, this is brilliant. He's like, complete 180, complete character shift. Like, he's like, of course this works. Like, why wouldn't it work? It's like, no one knows crypto hype more than I do. Like it's all hype. There's no fundamentals. There's no profits. <laughs> there's nothing. There's no financials. Of course it works. You're measuring the hype. You're dividing against the market cap. What to short, what to buy. And I was like, yes. He's like, perfect. Brilliant. Chris, this is brilliant. What do I need to do? What do you, what do you need for me? And I was like, hmm. Um, can you tweet about me twice per week? And I'll give you a quarter of the profits. And I don't remember if we negotiated. I don't remember if he said a quarter. I, do, I don't remember. That's what we settled on. Uh, and, and, and was that just off the cuff or had, did, did, had you I already had kind about of worked it. on what you were going to pitch? Yeah. Yeah. Cause at the time there were a lot of like paid groups that were charging like $500 a month for access to picks. Right. Uh, I see. So a paid group. So the business model is you pay to be in this group and in this group, people are talking about you know, like whatever the, the next hot ICO. Yep. yep. Okay. And, and so okay. I basically, I told them we're going to spend a month building a free group. We're going to give them a little bit. Then we're going to convert to a paid group. And I need okay. you to tweet about me twice per week. And I'll let me write the tweets. You can edit it, but you don't need to worry about anything. I'll send you the tweets. You can tweet it out. And he said, let's do it. <clears throat> and so. That's he, a great deal, man. Yeah. Yeah. And so he was totally cool after that. Totally chill. And he said, hey, hang out. Uh, Janice is getting Mexican. So they brought back all this Mexican food and we had burritos. And then he had like this big, like formal interview in the, in the living room with all the lights off. And we were just like watching it from the side. I spent like eight hours there and then I just left and I was like, what just happened? Like what, what, what just, happened? just happened? I was like, this is the biggest deal of my life. Like everything's different from now on. And um, little did I know like crypto was crashing, right? Like you only know crypto's crashing once it's way behind you. Right. Cause it's, it's always up and down. Right. And so it went yeah. from like 20 grand to 17 grand. And so everyone's thinking, oh man, it's a great time to buy. Cause it's going to go back to 20, you know? Yep. Yep. Um, and so I didn't know that was, happening at the time. And so 
I I get home and I, I launched this Discord group and I um, that was a story in and of itself. I didn't hire anyone. I didn't have anyone. I didn't know what to expect. I'm, I wasn't used to using Discord. Uh, so I set up a group. I call it NoBS Crypto. I buy the domain name NoBSCrypto.com. And that was the whole shtick was like, this is real. Like, this is not just like some guy like getting paid from an ICO. Therefore, he's shilling that. Like, I'm using data, real data. I'll show you the data and um, you can see what's going to happen. Right. So I launched this. But it is really just some guy. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, just, it's just you behind your laptop it's like, launching a, a Discord group and, and you're not even that adept in at Discord. I'm not at all. Yeah. 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 And so I launched this group called NoBS Crypto and um, I, I, I text John and I said, all right, here's the tweet. Here's the link and um, go ahead. And he's like, all right. So he tweeted out and thousands of people started flooding it, like thousands. It was just like the timing, the person, everything was perfect. And they're like, all right, in minutes. I, this minutes, is in minutes. Minutes. Like it was like, I was just riding this euphoria high. And it's like, here they are. Like, this is amazing. And the way Discord works is when you create a new group, the the default setting is that anyone that joins can be an admin, right? Which I don't know if it's still like that. This was four years ago. Foolish. I didn't know that. I could have just checked a box and removed that permission, but I didn't know to. I should have done that research. And so People, you know, my username was blue, all the guests were white, and I was like trying to manage it. Like I had different groups, like anyone with like altcoin picks or ICO picks or Bitcoin picks. And um, all of a sudden I see all these blue admin usernames flooding in. And I'm like, how is that happening? Like I didn't invite any admins and um, I didn't know at the time about this setting. And so then they started flooding the channel with like, just vile, vile, terrible things like spammers and bots and just filth. And I was just like, what is happening? And it then like, before I knew it, I was kicked out of the group. Like I was blocked or banned or something. And I was like, this is an over the span of like three minutes. And I was like, oh my gosh, what just happened? Then I start looking into it. Then I found out the setting and I was like, wow, I just totally blew it. I blew it. And so I called John and I told him, I was like, uh, I don't know what happened, but hackers took over and the channel's gone. And it's, he's like, what do you mean it's gone? It's like, it's, I don't so, have access. So Chris, somebody, so these people basically saw that they could make themselves admins, these nefarious types. They made themselves admins. They were spamming, whatever. And then they also just kicked you, the originator of the group out. Yeah. And just totally, just basically totally. Hijacked it. Yeah. They, hijacked the whole thing. Okay. Yep. Yep. <laughs> And so I was like, John, I can delete the group. Like I still, I can still delete it, but I have to delete it. Like it's too far gone. Uh, he's like, so I was like, you have to delete the tweet. I'll send you a new link, create a new group, same name, more, you know, tighten down settings. And he's like, Chris, I don't delete tweets. Like that goes against everything I believe in. Like, you know me, like I, it's out there. It's public. Like this is crypto. It's all public. I don't delete tweets. And I was like, John, like you have to, because I can't, you can't edit the tweet. We know that very well. You couldn't edit the tweet to change the link. It was just the link was the problem. And so I finally convinced him. He deleted the tweet. He tweeted again, along with a picture that said, hackers took over the channel. Here's the new link. So we tried it again and uh, people flooded in, not as many, maybe about a third to half as many. And um, we were off to the races. We had a community. I got some moderators, some admins, some real admins. 
And um, I started releasing my picks and they were working and they loved it. And we grew and we grew and we grew to like 80,000 people in, in all the groups. We had Telegram, Facebook, Twitter, Twitter page, like everything. And, um, and I don't remember why we hadn't built the pay group yet. We wanted to launch our own token, not an ICO. Uh, you have to sell a token for an ICO, but a free airdrop. Um, uh-huh. I, I, I thought with an ICO, there's either a lot of regulation that I have to do beforehand, or I don't do any regular, you know, I don't fill out any paperwork and I get sued. So let's just give away a token for free and then see if it can trade on the open market so we can fund our operations from that. So we did, we, we did an airdrop. It went super viral. Um, I tweeted about the airdrop and it got like 15,000 retweets. Like it was just, cr- and retweets. I, yeah. Yeah. Like wow. it was, and you can still see it. Like you can go do it at Twitter advanced search and see it. Um, because that was part of the deal to get the free airdrop tokens was they had to retweet it, right? Yeah. Ah, and yeah. so we were able to track that with software to make sure that they did. And so the airdrop went super viral and we got listed on a handful of exchanges um, and it was trading in the, at a $30, $40 million market cap. And it was just a wild ride. And we would slowly sell a little bit of tokens here and there to fund, because I had like eight people working for me and fund operations. And then we ended up, you know, the market kept crashing. This was like April, May, June, it got worse and worse. And then we launched the paid group as kind of a last ditch effort. Um, And there was just no interest in the paid group. It went super poorly. And so uh, at the end of the day, it was taking more time than it was worth. And like, I wasn't able to just keep doing this for free. Like I I either needed to ditch it or to make money from it. And so I, I ended up uh, I, one of the community members that I met through this project, and then with Ryan, I gave him the project with half a Bitcoin. And I was like, it's like I, I sold it to him, but I, I didn't sell it. I gave it to him. And yeah. I said, good luck, run with it, you know, best of luck. And he rebranded to something, and then they ended up failing. I mean, they gave it a valiant effort, but they ended up failing. So, And all the while, is John McAfee upholding his twice-weekly tweet agreement? Yep. He was. Really? He was great. Yeah, he was. And uh, and what has happened to John McAfee since? So he got so he got sent to prison uh, for not paying taxes. Um, he had a ton of unpaid crypto taxes, crypto gains that he never reported, but it was very easily trackable. Um, yeah. Thanks to crypto, and so he got. I think he got caught in Spain, and he got yes, he got caught in Spain. They locked him up in prison in Spain. And then the day that the news broke that they were going to extradite him to the, back to the U.S., he killed himself in prison. He hung himself. Wild. Yep. So, And had you, do you feel like you developed like a personal relationship with him or like a meaningful personal relationship? Did you ever talk to him again after that, you know, frenzied phone call about what was happening in the Discord group? I did. Yeah, we would talk like every week. Um, he was managing a few different other projects at the time, so I wasn't like his sole focus or anywhere near to it. But he would call me with like wacky business ideas. Like I saved his voicemails. Yeah. He had one where he's like he wanted to distribute tokens to mimes and like car dealerships, and like it was just like a rambling three minute voicemail that I just I'm like I'm never deleting this. And so we <laughs> we had it. I mean he we probably have a lot more in common than I'd like to admit because he's a serial entrepreneur, you know, and wacky ideas. So just, yeah, yeah, less morals, I guess. Yeah, yeah. 
Wild. What what a story, man. Well, Chris, thank you very much for sharing that. Thanks for sharing your story about uh, the acquisition of your Bitcoin mining facility. Um, be really interesting to hear how it goes for the rest of the year. Hopefully, this crypt for you, the crypto winter, doesn't last doesn't last very long. Um, but we'll be sure to check in sometime next year and, and maybe have you back on to see how things are going. Okay. Thank you. I would love that. Thanks a lot for coming on, sir. All right. Well, thank you.